Welcome to Come and See, your podcast for finding truth in a world of chaos. Brought to you by All for Jesus Living Waters Ministry. With host and founder, Richard Case, and co-host and retreat leader, Kathy Riccone. Today is our special guest day, where we will hear from a friend of the ministry who will share their insight and stories on truth in this chaotic world. And now your host, Richard Case. Well, good morning, everybody. This is uh, end, excuse me, not end times. It's going to be end times because Casey's going to help us understand some things, but it's Guess there uh, is Guest Day. Thursday. And we have a very special guest, uh, Casey Mulligan. Uh, he's actually, uh, yeah, in my world, he's, he's famous. Uh, he's mm-hmm. uh, worked for uh, presidents at the White House, uh, been an advisor, economic advisor, uh, and you're a frequent guest on Fox. Uh, news and um, uh, tell us a little bit about just uh, your own career and you know what what kind of things you have been doing and are doing right now. Um, yeah, my career is going way back. hasn't been my plan. Um, <laughs> luckily, luckily, it hasn't been my plan. I, when I was a teenager, I thought I was a mathematician. Um, I went to Marmion out in Aurora and they told me, no, you're, you're, I was good at math, but they said, you're good at social science. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and then I found myself, uh, doing that variety of accidents. Um, and then I stayed with it and it, it matches my talents well. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Still, still is, it's not, not done yet. Um, so I really, you could say it's a slight exaggeration. My only job has been a professor of economics at the university of Chicago. It is a bit tiny exaggeration. There were some teenage jobs and things like that. Um, and I took a sabbatical to work at the white house. Um, but that's, that's been my, my job. And I, God reveals is some of the mysteries of his creation and i've learned to be patient and just and understand i can't handle all those mysteries so he reveals them you know little doses that i can handle um and it's a fascinating did you end up working with you said you took a sabbatical um to work Uh, at the white house for a bit when was that yes uh that was in 2018 uh president trump okay and i was uh well, they asked me to do that, and I was pretty fearful. I was reading in the New York Times how terrible and evil um, the people are there, st- stuff like that. I knew the New York Times wasn't true, but when you're reading <laughs> something you know that's not true, that, that doesn't tell you what is true, right? Right, right. Um, how was your experience there? And well, I, And I was trying to look for every excuse not to go there. Um, but you know, I just kept looking in the word and he's didn't want me to stay home. He said, you know, you'll, I will, uh, you don't have to worry about enemies and things like that. Um, and I got there and they're, you know, they weren't enemies. They were very, very nice people. Um, and I had 
a few, one or two people there who kind of, you know, they're in a big group, they're going to be some enemies. There are one or two people who were just in charge of keeping track of that. I didn't have to worry for a moment about any of that stuff. I just did what I was good at. And that really made for a great experience and great relationship with all the people who were working there. When I'm doing my best and helping them do their best, you know, went very, very well. So it was, it was very, very fun uh, experience. Um, and we got to help the president a lot while having fun. So that's excellent. I'm glad I didn't follow my own and others, you know, friends and neighbors were saying you shouldn't go there. I'm glad I didn't follow that. And now you're a contributor on the Fox uh, station. What are you a regular on a show or what, who do you generally uh, wind up uh, appearing on? No, um, not a regular. Um, we, I'm part of a group um, called the committee to unleash prosperity. And we, we do kind of studies of the economy and policy. And some of them, they're not professors, they don't have classes to teach. So they go on the TV more. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'm on the team, sometimes I go in there. And I, I think you saw me about the regulation things, which I have kind of behind me on the screen here. And that that's particularly my expertise. So the Fox asked me to do that. Um, I go on Cudlow sometime. I, I know Cudlow well. I was on his previous show before he was in government. Um, so it, it's more an a la carte sort of thing. I don't have a regular schedule. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, show Best name. Um, tell us about your uh, uh, family a little bit. Um, uh, you know, married to Julia and uh, got beautiful children, and and you live in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, Rich married us uh, 17 years ago in uh, five days. Um, <laughs> and we have uh, five kids and um, they're all they're all different uh, growing up. What are their age range? What's their age range? Well, the oldest are from a previous marriage. Um, he's uh, 25. And another is 22. And then there's a 16-year-old and uh, 12, going to be 13 soon, and then 10-year-old. You've got the gamut going right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you worry when they're growing up, but they, they've grown up and they've uh, overcome the obstacles that, you know, we parents worry about. Um, it's pretty amazing how it works. Um, and you live in uh, Chicago. Uh, are you, you're still a professor at the university, right? Yeah, that, that's been my only job. We, um, we lived and we were first married, we lived in Lincoln Park briefly, but now we live in the South Loop. So when you took your sabbatical to the White House, did you take the whole family to D.C. for a stretch or was that something you were able to do back and forth? How did that play out? Well, we got seven people. How many different permutations of arrangements can you have? There's a lot. Um, but we, my oldest and I were, my oldest ended up working in the White House as well. It's a summer job. And we shared an apartment, um, which was real fun. He was, you know, about 21 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the vacations, the, uh, 
other kids and mom came um, and, they, and they got to tour the White House and things like that. Um, then I came home every other weekend. Okay. Um, so they stayed in their same school and things like that. Well, um, we'd uh, you know kind of like to tap into your uh, insight and work. Um, uh, and one thing I know you've looked at is you know regulation, uh, and then we'll talk we'll talk about some you know, other things of the economy. But um, and I, I see in the background there you've got some graphs, so maybe you could set that up and talk to us about some of the recent uh, study you've been doing and the impact it's having on the uh, economy. One of the things I always taught in my class um, was, hey, regulation's a big deal. People don't pay attention to it, um, doesn't get the headlines, largely because it comes in many small pieces, and whereas a tax bill come in just one big bill, you know, every 10 years gets a lot of play. Um, but really regulations are more important and because people are, aren't paying attention, it's, not, it's kind of unsupervised. Um, it's affecting our lives, but, you know, the citizens, and that's who's supposed to run the country, the citizens don't, aren't really following what's going on. So that was what I was taught. And then when I got there and saw it up close, I was like, wow, I should have emphasized that point even more. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I tried to get into, okay, there's all these little pieces. Is there a way I can aggregate the pieces and have kind of an aggregate picture um, for and good examples for the president to talk about and I can talk about in my classes and how people engage and people people are smart even if they're not their area if, if you show them some examples they start to see a pattern and they can watch for that pattern you know outside those specific um, examples um, so you know, it was a it was a tough task, you know, because there really is so much going on. There's every year there's thousands of regulations. Um, now a lot of them are little, like it says the little drawbridge at Portsmouth, New Hampshire, is going to open at a different time. You know, maybe you don't want to count those, but if you cut, cut those out, there's still hundreds every year. Um, so that it was a problem I stewed about for months and. At, by the end of the year, we were able to figure out how to quantify it. And, and actually, we kind of turned to the citizens again to do that. We um, we focused on regulations that get a lot of comments from the public. Most of these regulations get no comment. But if they get comments, we we um, we focused and did a careful study of them. Also, Congress got engaged. Congress is also unaware of many of these thousands of regulations. But if they got engaged, if they do on a handful of times, we look closely at those. And then we we kind of told the story about those important regulations as revealed by the people, um, not by the bureaucrats. Um, and then I updated what I think Rich saw on, on Fox, uh, Fox and Friends in the morning. He saw, I did an update of that to finish out what the end of the Trump administration after I left and, and then to include the Biden administration for uh, two years, for its first two years. And I found that um, Biden's regulations are costing at least, costing an average household $10,000 um, for two years. 
if he goes eight years, you can multiply that by four um, or more because he's probably just hitting his stride on regulating. Whereas President Trump in his four years, he had cut the cost of regulation for the average household about $11,000. And I also looked at Obama and Obama's kind of like Biden, but not quite as ambitious on his regulation as Biden was, as Biden is. So what's the, um, when you say uh, it's, it's impacted uh, households, what, what kind of things wind up impacting households? Um, you know, one of the misconceptions about regulation is, it's, is that most of it's about cleaning the air and the water. That's quite not true. There are regulations of that type. Um, there are environmental regulations, but something like 80% of the regulations are not. There are regulations about various aspects of business, especially healthcare business. And they're really what we call in my field, uh, they're anti-competitive. They help the bigger businesses avoid competition from other businesses. That's the typical type of regulation. So. To give an example, um, and the prescription drugs, you get your prescriptions. Most of our prescriptions are generics, but a bunch of regulations made it hard for companies to make generics. And these aren't drugs that are like new and we're not sure if they're gonna give you two horns or so, uh, something like that. These are drugs that are years old, sometimes a century old, um, and the government was making it difficult for a company to come in there and make that drug for people. So generics were very expensive. And President Trump came in and he said, we're, we're not doing this anymore. They, if a company applies and would like to make a generic drug, we're gonna let them. And we saw drug prices fall for the first time in, in 46 years. Uh, they had been going up, 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 and they came down. And it's it very simple. There were a couple of companies that kind of gained that system. They had friends in the government. Their stocks crashed because they weren't able to uh, block the competition anymore. So that's, uh, that's, that's an example. Um, you mind just a little bit to give understanding for um, anybody, really the difference between, if they're not really up on the lingo, the difference between a regulation that varies from administration to administration and passing a law per se or something like that. Can you let us know how that, how a regulation just slips in and how that transpires in administrations just so that we have a little background as to why there's such discrepancy in different administrations having lots of regulations versus not. Sure, yeah. They, um, now, I think of regulation is where you say you, you have to do this or you're going to jail or maybe you'll get a big fine um, as opposed to a tax where it says, you know, go ahead and do it, you know, buy your cigarettes, but you're going to have to pay a tax or, you know, go ahead and run your business, but you need to give us 40% of what you make. Um, that would be the distinction. <clears throat> Regulations do come in laws. So there right. are laws that say you shall do something and, there's really no money changing hands there. It just says you have to do that. Um, although most of the regulations are happening, um, the various government agencies, which there are dozens of government agencies, and the bureaucracy there says, well, we're going to tell people, uh, we're going to say, you know, we're not going to let companies make 
generic drugs. Um, that was just their decision. Um, now they claim to be following some law, often it'll be a law from years ago. Um, although in the generic drug case, that was not the case. Congress had passed several laws saying, FDA, you need to do better on this. And they never, they always had excuses why they didn't. Um, so it's coming from the bureaucracy and special interests are you know, people who work in the companies to benefit, maybe we used to work in the agency and they have friends in the agency. So they'll often, you know, give their sob story why they need to pass a rule to protect the, their company. Um, and really e even Republican administrations were doing a, a lot of that. It's because of the special interest. They're around all the time. But President Trump wasn't coming from the usual channels. He didn't have the usual sets of supporters. A lot of those special interests were against him. So he wasn't going to, you know, protect them with rules that uh, knock out their competition. And as you as you look at, um, you know, because you look at it from the economic point of view, um, what what are some of the implications economically uh, to the United States uh, economy in general? And then what impact does that have uh, on individuals who are now having uh, you know to see those those consequences what what is what is all that in essence what does all that mean economically and then uh, what is that going to mean for how we experience that well at the end of the day it reduces our living standards kind of does it in two directions and the prescription drug is, is an example where things just cost more um, and it could be prescription drugs it can be your home loan could be your automobile um, all the above, your internet plans. Actually, it was a very big, oh, President Obama really regulated internet plans and they were very expensive. Um, and so, you know, you, you take your salary out or your pension and you try to buy stuff and you find that they're more expensive because of all the regulations that the company has to obey. A lot of times the regulations are of the type well, you can't have the cheap thing. I mentioned internet. Obama said, well, we can't have cheap internet plans. We can only have first-class internet plans. And those of us who were like, well, I don't really value what that first-class internet plan gives me. It's too bad for me. I have to buy that or maybe buy no internet. So that um, that's one way it shows up. And the other way it shows up is you earn less. That they're make it very difficult to be an employer. Um, people are reluctant to hire people because of all the regulations that go along with that. Um, also, maybe in their industry, they're very much handicapped, like right now in the oil, petroleum, natural gas, they, they have a lot of regulations to deal with, and they're not hiring people to dig new wells and uh, restart old wells. And so those are uh, less jobs out there. And even if there's not less jobs, the jobs are less productive because they have to do a lot of government things instead of providing value to the customer, like pumping natural gas. Um, so it makes for lower wages. So you get on both ends, you get paid less. And then what you do get paid is stretched uh, less far. And I guess the other, since so much regulation is in health, it, um, people are less healthy too. Um, Especially the 
a lot of regulations around medical innovation. Um, we don't have the drugs that might cure a disease or the, the cures that we do have are way more expensive than they need to be because of all the regulations that are in place there. So it also shows up actually in a fairly dramatic way in, in people's health and longevity. Does that, um, if they're, if you're making less and it's taking more out, does that imply that the economy will not grow as much or maybe even go into a recession because it's taking purchasing multipliers out and going the opposite direction? Yeah, uh, I hesitate around the word multiplier, but it does reduce the reduce the growth, reduce the living standards. I mean, GDP is a measure of living standards, uh, reduces the living standards. It um, And the amounts that it's involved, I, I mentioned, you know, uh, $10,000 a household, things like that. It's a, by itself, it's enough to turn kind of normal rate of growth. This growth is a if the government kind of gets out of the way, it's kind of a normal thing that we do get smarter over time. We discover new things. We build new buildings, factories, start. All these things lead us to get better at what we're doing. Um, but the regulation is enough to kind of bring that down to zero. So that's not quite a recession. But when you have a kind of natural growth rate reduced to more or less zero, it's very easy to go into recession because then you only need one other little thing to push you from zero into negative, and then that's a recession. What, and we, uh, we had that in 2022. We had negative growth, and then they changed the definition of a recession. But we, there's no doubt we had negative growth in 2022. What, um, uh, as you're trying to help, help us understand it, what drives it to the uh, zero for, uh, growth? What What's happening that it actually winds up there at zero is when it could be obviously growing in, in a positive way. Well, you have you still have the process that we do discover things and we do build some things, um, although these things happen at a lesser rate. And then there's all these activities that get shifted from productive activities, you know, delivering value to the consumer toward satisfying what the government wants, you know, building a windmill or other things that the market doesn't value, um, but the government's requiring them to do it anyway. And that takes people, that takes capital uh, out of productive uses. You can, you can think of it as a guns and butter, like in wartime, we, we can make kind of civilian things happen, or we can work for, for the war effort. And But you can't do both. Um, resources that go toward the war effort can't go toward the civilian. And it's the same sort of thing, except not necessarily a war, um, but it's you know the pet projects of the politicians um, that are not particularly valuable to consumers, but they're requiring us to do those anyway. Um, and um, do you, uh, if they have more and more regulation, will that will that stay at zero percent? I mean, and we know you said other factors, which we'll talk about in the next session, but. Uh, could it go even where it actually pushes it, it all by itself pushes it into uh, negative territory? I mean, 
we had a history where in the 70s, there also got to be a lot of regulation. And there was a bipartisan pushback against that. So it got cut costly and people were, even if they weren't following each one of the thousands, people were frustrated. You know, why does it, maybe Rich, you can remember in the 70s to fly somewhere was quite a luxury. I mean, all of us hop on Southwest Airlines now and go places, but in the 70s, when I was a kid, we didn't go on plane vacations. It was just too expensive. It was so regulated. Right. And then people got frustrated by that, both parties. So they, they said that enough is enough. And they cut back a lot of those regulations. President Carter, in fact, um, was heavily involved with that. And so in, in looking forward, I tend to think that it would be, again, uh, backlash from the population that maybe both parties would have sympathy for, and that would prevent it. But that's kind of a political projection, maybe based on a bit of history. Um, the bureaucracy itself has no end to its appetite. I mean, the more power it gets, the more power it wants. What do you see as some of the most costly regulations that are enacted currently? The, if we just pick one out of the thousands, it is, you could call it environmental, although it's not really environmental. It's about the automobiles, how many miles per the gallon they're supposed to get or how much carbon they're supposed to emit. Those are more or less the same thing because every time you use a gallon of gas, you emit some carbon. Those are very expensive regulations. Um, Obama's regulations were adding about two or $3,000 to the price of a car, a new car. You know, a lot of families have two cars and not rich families either. They have two cars. So, you know, there it is, you know, $5,000 just in that one regulation out of the thousands that they're paying. Uh, President Trump tried to roll some of that back, and he did, although there were a lot of special interests who didn't want him to do that. Um, and he didn't quite roll it back all the way. And then President Biden is going way in even more than Obama. You know, I think he's trying to require the average car to get 60 miles to the gallon, which essentially means that most cars need to be electric. They don't use a gallon of gas or a gallon of anything else. Um, so th those are those are going to add thousands more dollars to the price of a car. In practice, that's going to be that a number of us won't have cars. Um, the electric car is very expensive. I think I, I expect that they're going to find problems with the electric car too. So they'll take away your gas car or make your gas car, you know, a six-figure purchase, and then they'll say, "Well, you can't have the electric car either. Take the bus." Mm -hmm. And that would make a big, big difference for the, those Americans who don't live in a central city that's going to be a big difference taking the bus. Yeah. Well, uh, Casey, thank you for um, setting it up uh, with this and, and just the simplicity of where we don't really do appreciate the fact that economically we get impacted by these and um, it does it does hit us in the pocketbook, both sides, our, our income and our expenses which means we have less to spend for sure. And we have to make choices uh, ultimately about that. So that, that's really helpful to understand. And I'm particularly 
uh, and we'll talk maybe next time about your uh, economic you know, forecast with some of these other factors. Um, if the regulations are keeping it at kind of zero, that means other things either can go up or down based on uh, what really happens, particularly with the interest rates that we have. So we talked a little bit about that. So we, we'd like to hear your perspective next week on the opportunity of what you see, uh, since you're an uh, economist, what do you see going on in the economy over the next you know, year or two or three and why? So thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and your insight. And uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, it's really cool that you can, you can explain it in ways that we, we uh, laymen can understand. It, so <laughs> so uh, uh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. You will look forward to having you back uh, for our next session. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. If you have questions about things you're hearing, be sure to send them into questions at afjministry.com. If Rich and I can't help with that, we will be happy to pass them on to Casey and get a little more information. Um, so thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow with End Times Friday. Yeah. Have a great day.